Today's reading comes from Matthew 5, 1 to 2, 11 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as as Josh has already prayed, we invite you uh, to be present now by your Spirit. Uh, Hearts that are cold, hearts that are hard, uh, hearts like ours, uh, need uh, the enlivening uh, presence and power of your Spirit. We need ears to hear. We need eyes to see what you want to speak to us this morning as this church, this local church expression gathered in this corner of the world, in this corner of Vancouver. Lord, would you move amongst us in power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our last Sunday in the Beatitudes is today. This is our last Sunday in the Beatitudes. I know you're sad. I can tell. Uh, This is our last Sunday in the Beatitudes. And and we're going to look this week as Jesus doubles down on his words about persecution. He's talking again about persecution. Now, living the lives that we live, that you and I live, and I think we live a pretty similar life probably, uh, it is weird, it is weird, it is strange uh, to talk one week about persecution. It is almost inappropriate and offensive to talk two weeks about persecution. That seems a bit much, right? Why is Jesus doing this? Why are we doing this this morning? Why does Jesus feel it's necessary Uh, to elaborate on this. Think of all the the blessed are statements that we've seen so far, Jesus does not elaborate on any other uh, of these macarisms, any other of these flourishing statements. And more than that, I don't know if you saw that as Daisy read this morning, but Jesus, he sort of turned in our text today and he personalized it. Did you catch that? Blessed are you, you, not they, blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now they and theirs, uh, that can be very theoretical, right? Those people, this thing, uh, like, like we're watching a, a TV show. But in our text today, if you've sort of been watching the Sermon on the Mount like you're watching a TV show, Jesus is turning, and as creepy as this sounds, uh, the person on the TV is addressing you, the viewer. In case you thought this was for someone else, in case you thought this was abstract and theoretical, Jesus now turns to us, and he talks to the disciples then, and he talks to the disciples now. He's talking to us, you, and me. The theoretical has moved to the personal why is Jesus doing this? If we look past our text this morning to next week's text, which I don't like to do, but we'll do it, because uh, it gives me less to say next week, but I'll, that's okay. In 13 to, to 16, Jesus is going to talk about us as a church, as a people who are a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand. And these verses today act as a bit of a hinge or a bridge, as if Jesus is saying this, listen, Christ City, All this beatitude living, you've got to take all of that 
and you've got to take it from this private life you have and move it over here into the public sphere. You have to live this out. It can't stay here. It has to go here. And that makes us immediately uncomfortable, doesn't it? Listen to what Jesus says, and we'll look at this more next week. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way... Now look at this more next week. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Living out the Beatitudes in public, these, these true marks of a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, will inevitably come with persecution. So in our text today, Jesus, ever the good pastor, ever the good shepherd, he does not want us to be unprepared. He does not want us to be unaware. See, I don't know about your group this week. If you're part of a community group, I don't know what you guys talked about this week. Hopefully the Bible, like hopefully, you know, encouraging things. I don't know about your group this week, but my group this week was asking this question, well, what if I don't get persecuted? Like, what if this seems very strange to me and, and, and foreign to me? What if I don't experience persecution? Now, I think there's a fuller answer to that, but I think part of the answer to, well, what if I don't get persecuted, is how public is your faith? Is it a private you and Jesus thing? Are you an incognito Christian, an undercover Christian, hoping no one will find out about your faith in in Jesus? Jesus anticipates as we take our faith public, as we live out these, these flourishing statements, as these are made true in us by the Spirit, that we will indeed, we're promised persecution. We're promised it. When we act like a city on a hill, when we put our lamp on a stand, it's at this point Jesus anticipates persecution coming. And naturally, that makes us fearful and hesitant. So the good shepherd Jesus, he has left a theoretical they and is addressing the scared and intimidated and weak personal you and personal me. This morning, I want us to walk through this final beatitude looking at three words of comfort. Three words of comfort that Jesus speaks to his persecuted church. First, we're going to see this. Jesus says, take heart, your persecution is on my account. So number one, take heart, your persecution is on my account. Number two, take heart, your persecution puts you among the prophets. And number three, take heart, your reward is great in in heaven. So number one. The first word of comfort Jesus speaks is, take heart, your persecution is on my account. Look at, look at our Bibles. Last week we read, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This week the parallel, saying the same thing, just, just kind of breaking it down further, is blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here's a nuance we need to catch this week. Last week, Jesus was talking about being persecuted for kingdom behavior, and he showed us that. Being persecuted for living out these beatitudes, for living out these blessed are statements. But this week, he sharpens the point even finer. He makes it more particular, makes it more obvious. This week, he's saying, not only will you be persecuted for kingdom behavior, you'll be persecuted because I'm your king. 
because I'm your Lord. And we'll see this later in, in Matthew 10. Now, how is this a word of comfort to us? How is that comforting? Is it just me that that's not comforting too? Suffering on Jesus' account, we need to see this, is a sign, an evidence, if you will, of our oneness with Jesus, of our unity in Christ. In the same way we saw a couple weeks ago that, that, that Christian peacemaking is evidence that we're growing like our Father, right? We are sons of God. We're, we're imitating the character of God himself as we peacemake. Uh, this, this week, same thing is happening here. So too does suffering for Jesus confirm, act as a sign of uh, uh, us being in Jesus. Our identity in Christ. In fact, if you were to go to the book of 1 Peter... Some people have said that 1 Peter is actually just a commentary on these two Beatitudes. That Peter's just unpacking more fully for us these two Beatitudes. If we were to go to 1 Peter, Peter is speaking to suffering and persecuted Christians. And he's saying to them, like, why is this surprising to you? Like, why, why is that a surprise to you? Do you not know that our Lord and Savior, our King, is a suffering servant? is a suffering king. He makes that very clear. See, if we read past the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 16, in Matthew's gospel, we read past this triumphant sermon, we see a turn in Jesus' ministry. When people are no longer enamored with Jesus, the hype is worn off. In Matthew 16, Jesus speaks like this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Yeah, of course, Jesus was right. He goes to Jerusalem, and while he's met with applause on the way in, on the way out, Jesus is carrying a cross to a nearby hill. He'll be spit on, mocked, and all kinds of lies will be told about him. And Jesus will die. He will die on the cross. Jesus, poor in spirit. Jesus, mourner of sin. Jesus, meekest of meek. Jesus, the very righteousness of God. Jesus, the merciful. Jesus, pure in heart. Jesus, the peacemaker. This Jesus, this perfect embodiment, this perfect example of all of our beatitudes would be murdered. And it's this Jesus, Christ City. It's this Jesus who you and I follow. It's this crucified Savior who you and I obey. It's in the path of this Jesus that you and I seek to walk. Look at 1 Peter with me. The Apostle Peter writes to Christian, uh, Christian slaves by way of encouragement, those who are suffering in the moment by way of encouragement. For this you have been called, that is to suffer. For this you have been called. That's interesting, eh? And this is in my notes. We talk about calling like only in its positive. But Peter uses the language of calling here like, yeah, you've been called to suffer. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
The Christian life, the only Christian life we see in the scriptures is one that is cruciform, is shaped by the cross. Right after Jesus tells his disciples about his impending crucifixion, he'll look at them and he'll famously say, we know this verse, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Indeed, in earlier in Matthew 10, Jesus has something to the effect, like, listen, why are you surprised if they malign the master of the household, call him a demon, that you two, servants in the household, are also being maligned, are also being reviled? And the implication, of course, is that to suffer on account of Jesus is to put us firmly in his house, to put us firmly in his family. Firmly on the path of discipleship. It shows that we are slowly but surely, slowly but surely, being conformed to the image of our Savior, being made into the likeness of Christ. Suffering and persecution do not need to be pursued. They don't need to be pursued. I thought he did a good job explaining that last week. As we go public with our faith, as we go public with our faith, it will come. And last week, the question I heard, and last week, maybe the question you had, was what if it doesn't come? Again, what if it hasn't come? Let me say two things. We think persecution, and rightfully so, we think of those uh, countries in our world today where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus. Where to be a follower of Jesus is to be killed, imprisoned, and beaten. Right? We think that's persecution, and anything else is not persecution. Did Did you hear our text today? Our text today seems to validate verbal harassment, slander, people lying about us as persecution. So let's not hold a bar of persecution that the Bible itself doesn't hold. Our text validates all sorts, all different types of of, of persecution. Not all persecution is murder or imprisonment. Don't think that unless you're being killed for your faith, it's not really persecution. The other thing is this. The time to decide how you're going to respond to persecution is not in the middle of persecution. It's not as you're being persecuted. The time to decide how you're going to respond to persecution is now. When things are nice, when things are safe, it's not in the middle of the fire. I I don't know your specific uh, career problems. I don't know your specific obstacles that you'll face. I don't know what contracts are going to be put before you and you'll be asked to sign. I don't know what clientele you'll wrestle, should I work with them or not. I don't know the specifics of that, but you do. It would be wise for us as followers of Jesus to begin to think through, how am I going to respond in that situation? What will it mean to be faithful to Jesus in that situation? The time is now to decide that. Persecution might not be happening in the sort of intensity it's experiencing, being experienced in the rest of the world right now for us. But I don't think I'm being a, 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 a worry wart, if anybody still uses that word, or fearful by saying that it's coming. You don't have to be a prophet to know that it's coming. That the world does not love the church. That Vancouver does not love the church. That's not prophetic insight. That's just seeing what's happening. And when it comes, when it comes on account of Jesus being your king, take comfort, we're told, 
it is further evidence that you are starting to look like him. That he, through trial and persecution, is gloriously changing you, transforming you. And Peter says exactly this in 1 Peter 4.14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Which means that another great comfort, another great comfort in the midst of suffering and persecution on Jesus' account is that it is full of purpose and meaning. It is full of purpose and meaning. But what is that? Persecution exposes the parts of us still not yet submitted to King Jesus. If we love career advancement more than Jesus, it's really simple, we will not bring up Jesus at work. If we love being universally adored in our neighborhood, we will not go out on a limb to share the gospel with our neighbors. If we have greater loves than King Jesus and his kingdom, we will not do these things. Persecution and trial refines our loves, refines our desires. And the first word of comfort Jesus brings to us this morning as the suffering servant himself is take heart. Your persecution is on my account. And if it's on Jesus' account, if it's for righteousness' sake, we can trust that it is full of purpose. It is full of meaning. Now I confess, uh, the comfort of this second statement uh, isn't immediately obvious. Uh, In a sense, Jesus says to the crowds, Take heart, your persecution puts you right alongside the prophets, right with the prophets. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 reads, rejoice and be glad. Strange, 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 strange words. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's just be very clear out of the gate here. Persecution not to be pursued, neither is persecution to be celebrated. Nobody's like, I got persecuted today. Yes. That's not, that's not what, what, what Jesus is talking about here. Christians are not these, these pain-seeking masochists looking for opportunities for, for persecution. But in addition to how our suffering identifies us with Jesus, Jesus continues to give us two reasons. Two reasons as to why we can have joy, even gladness in the midst of suffering. He says this. First, Your reward is great in heaven, and we'll we'll come back to that. And the second is, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's going on here? Again, what does this mean? I think there is comfort this morning in knowing that persecution for the Christian is nothing new. It is not new. It is not new. In fact, not only is it not new, but our experience today of not being actively and intensely persecuted actually stands out in history. We are the historical anomaly, if we can say it like that. In this one phrase, Jesus is reminding us that the history of God's people has always been a history of persecution. Always. Always. He's saying it was true of the prophets who were killed and harassed in the Old Testament. It is true today. Just watch in a few days' time. I'll be crucified, and it will be true going forward. Past, present, future. Fearing God and persecution have always gone together. This is peanut butter and jelly. It's always existed this way. This has always been true of the church. 
And maybe persecution is such a crippling thing to us today because we have forgotten that. Because I've forgotten that. Lulled to sleep by the prosperity and peace of our age, we have been largely sold a Christianity where Jesus wants to give you a nice, persecution-free, vacation-filled, middle-class existence. Really, you're just at church for the Christian school reference. That's the Christianity that we've been sold. That's the Christianity I was sold. Want to take your life to the next level? Something not that great? Well, well, let's just do a little Jesus to it. Maybe someone told you Jesus' primary concern was advancing your career, giving you a better marriage, a more stable bank account. If I can for a moment, I want to put on my historian hat. And it's not a very big hat. It's a very limited hat. But I'm going to put it on anyways. If I can put on my historian hat... And I want us to walk through what it has meant throughout the ages, throughout the history of the church, to follow Jesus. What it has always meant to follow Jesus. As our text noted, this was true of the prophets. It was also to be true of the early church as well. If you were to read through the book of Acts, which is a good exercise for us all the time, really. If you were to read through the book of Acts, you'd find imprisonments, beatings, bloodthirsty mobs, public mockery. A Jesus follower killed by stoning. A Jesus follower killed by a king. And I wish I could tell you that the rest of church history reads differently. It doesn't. It doesn't. And Jesus might as well have said, if you face persecution today, for so they persecuted the early church before you. If you face persecution today, for so Emperor Nero set on fire Christians before you. If you face persecution today, for so they have beaten and harassed the church in Algeria before you, right now today. If you face persecution today, for so Chinese Christians have been murdered, attacked, and slandered before you. For for the church, and, and this is me. Don't hear this as me just railing here. This is me too. But for the church in North America, me included, at times, it seems like we've signed up to play football and we're surprised that there's tackling. Like we're sitting in our lawn chair in the middle of the field with like a daiquiri. Oh, this is violent. This is not nice. I don't like this. Surprised when when 300 pounds of muscle runs over us. What did we expect following Jesus? What did we expect? What Christianity were you sold? One scholar puts it really bluntly. In every age, in every age, God's people are under the gun. Now, if I can, in a strange way, and this will be very strange, I think this is so encouraging to us as we consider the mission Jesus has given us, Christ City East Vancouver as a church. If we expect to gather here on Sundays, meet in community groups in the neighborhood, do outreach events, and and think that we're just going to be met with like a big bear hug from, from Hastings Sunrise, like we're in for a rude awakening. We should expect opposition. But here's the thing. The prophets not only teach us to expect 
persecution, the prophets also teach us how to endure in the midst of persecution. I love what another commentator says. The prophets suffered but stayed engaged with their age. Likewise, Christians do not withdraw from their age. Persecution is never an excuse to withdraw, to pull back, to take faith that is intended to be public and make it private. And I know this morning that this is your temptation because this is my temptation. This is my temptation. My temptation is to, is to lead our church in such a way that this is a really nice and, and safe place for other Christians to hide out. Make Christ City East Vancouver uh, like a country club or a resort, right? Like Sandals East Vancouver, where other Christians can come and get away from the big bad world. Instead of leading us in such a way that Christ City East Vancouver is an outpost deep in enemy territory. In a world, in a kingdom, opposed to Jesus. To us this morning, to us this morning, to me and to you, Jesus says, take heart. Your experience of persecution is normal. It's normal. More than that, it joins you to the experience of those who have loved me and served me throughout the ages. Now, if we've been paying attention... The two uh, take heart statements so far are limited. I think they're limited in terms of the comfort that they can bring. In one very real sense, our first two words of comfort only find their grounding or only truly comforting when understood in view of this third word of comfort Jesus wants to speak to his persecuted church today. And Jesus says, take heart for great is your reward in heaven. Take heart, for great is your reward in heaven. See, see, take heart, your suffering on account of me, only comforts if suffering in Jesus also means we will have eternal life in Jesus forever. And take heart, your, your persecution puts you among the prophets. I want to know where the prophets are, right? Where are they standing? It's only comforting if the prophets are with Jesus forever in eternity, in glory, if there is some sort of end game in place. We need this third word. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And in effect, he's saying two things. Your persecution now translates to, to, to future rewards. Your persecution now translates to future rewards. And the second thing is this. The reality and the sureness of these future rewards, eternal rewards, should give you joy now. Should make us a glad people now. A happy people now. A flourishing people now. It's the future influencing the present. Now, admittedly, for people who have been told, and we said this week after week after week, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the language of rewards, isn't it weird to us? Like, it sounds strange to us. It sounds like they cheapen the, the, this grace we received in Jesus. Now, now we'll, we'll explore rewards further, because Jesus comes back to this in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but I think it's enough to say today, if you have been saved by grace, why can Jesus not give you rewards by grace? Why can he not give you more blessings by grace, wages by grace? Why not? 
In fact, as we continue, like I said, we'll continue to, to, to unpack this word. There's this inherent logic to how God has created this world. Living the blessed life of the Beatitudes is to live according to God's good created order, to live according to the grain of the universe. So why would we expect living according to God's wisdom to result with, in the age to come, not talking about Ferraris now, Lamborghinis now, but why would we surprise, or why should we not expect uh, to, to, to get these eternal blessings? To be met with eternal reward if we're living in line with God's good created order according to the grain of the universe. Ultimately, this language of rewards tells us about the just nature and character of God. God's justice. God who justly rewards the one who suffers for righteousness sake on account of Jesus. And so here's the deal. If this morning you're unconvinced of the power of future realities to give us joy now in the face of persecution, let me remind you that Jesus used this tactic. That Jesus had joy in the midst of suffering because he reminded himself and was mindful and meditated on future realities. What does the author of Hebrews say? Hebrews 12, verse 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? Take heart. Your persecution is on my account and it puts you among the prophets. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus have joy in the face of unimaginable shame? How did Jesus do it? It was because Jesus knew he would be vindicated. Because Jesus knew his father would not leave him in the grave. Because Jesus knew he would sit at the right hand of the father in glory. Because Jesus knew his death would bring about the salvation of many. Because of the joy of those rewards, if we can say it that way, Jesus was able to endure the cross. Unimaginable shame. I think this is intended to work the same way for us. The reality of future reward at the return of Jesus is intended, is a gift now to give us joy now in the most desperate and evil situation. It's why you can read stories, if you read the church historians, of Christians singing their way to death. Of Christians in prison, praising God, full of joy, full of gladness. It's why in the early church, when the apostles are thrown into prison, beaten, uh, falsely accused, over and over and over and over again, that Luke can describe them like this. Then they left the presence of the council. What were these apostles doing? After, after a cycle of persecution, what were they doing? Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. To suffer dishonor for the name. Why are the apostles rejoicing? Why are Christians singing? Why has it always been this way? Why should we today rejoice in the midst of suffering? Because we have been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus makes all the difference. All the difference. 
Do you know the name? Do you know the name by which every knee will bow at the end of the age? Do you know the name which will be on every tongue for all of eternity? Do you know the name of the one who loves to pour out blessing, who loves to reward? It's the name of Jesus. Jesus is not only the pastor who switches from the theoretical they to the personal you and me. He's not just the pastor of a sermon who said some clever things back in history. Jesus is the eternal pastor who will not lose a single sheep from his fold. Jesus is the faithful judge who avenges the blood of the martyrs. He is just and right and true and good. Jesus is the good king, ushering his kingdom one day in full. And so I want to leave you with this. I want us to listen to how King Jesus, shepherd of our souls, speaks to his flock today. Don't depersonalize this. Don't make this a theoretical day. He is turning now, and by his spirit, he is speaking to you. And he is speaking to me. And what does King Jesus want to say? Hear the one who not only knows you and sees you, but will vindicate you. Indeed, all who are persecuted on his account. King Jesus speaks to us today saying this. I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Would you stand with me in response to Christ City? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.